Automotive Iron. Your host, Louis Alcazan, on this beautiful Saturday morning. I'm sure I'm glad you could join us. And with Brian Terry and myself, we'll be glad to try to answer any automotive questions you have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. And that 225 in front of that will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got to say all lines are lit up already. We got Scott in line. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, Good sir. morning. We got a 1940 Hudson. Okay. All right. Preferred daily driver. Mm-hmm. It's got the L Head 6. Okay. In there. And I got two issues with it. One of them is. It, and this happened all of a sudden. If I start it up in the morning, pull the choke out a little bit, press the button, and it fire right up okay. nice and smooth. And then one day, it all of a sudden started running rough and running rich. The next morning when I tried to start it, if I pulled the choke out, it wouldn't start. So I didn't pull the choke out and then... Started and still running rough. Yeah. And if I pull out the choke just a little bit, it dies. Sounds like it's running too rich, Scott. Do you smell like a, does it kind of burn your eyes when you stand around it when it's running? Like it's running uh, yeah. rich? Yeah. The most common reason for that is the float level in the carburetor has probably changed. I mean, there's lots of things that could cause it to run rich, but that is the one thing that I can think of that could change just overnight like that. If the float in the carburetor either springs a leak or starts to sink down or gets stuck or the little seat in the carburetor where the float turns it off gets gummed up or something, what it'll do is the float level will rise. As it rises, more fuel will spill over into the Venturi than before. So it'll richen the engine up considerably. So that would be my first suspicion. I mean, there's probably some other things that could do it, but... With it happening all of a sudden like that, that would be my most common thing that I would think of. Okay. Definitely an over-rich condition. You might try just looking down the carburetor and see if you see, like, some gas dribbling or dripping in. Yes, I did. Yeah. Probably that float level in the carburetor is either stuck or a lot of times the fuel that we get, even if you're buying non-ethanol fuel, sometimes it has ethanol in it or traces of ethanol in it. And those old carburetors just really didn't like that too much. Or it could just be a little bit of gum or something stuck in the valve that closes when the float comes up. But take the top off the carburetor. See if the floats are still intact. Sometimes they'll just deteriorate and fall apart or partially fall apart. Sometimes they'll get a little hole in them and sink or get heavier than they used to be. Sometimes just a little float won't seal well. And the way we used to test those is just take the top off the carburetor with the fuel line still attached. Gently push up on the floats with your finger and crank the engine over and see if it stops all the gas from coming through, which it should. If any gas still drips through, then it's leaking. Okay. All righty. That sounds easy. And then the other one, while I was trying to track down this problem, I noticed that my uh, the vacuum advance mm-hmm. is not working. Okay. Now, trying to find one for a 1940 is not the easiest. Yeah, that would be very, very hard. Scott, you may be able to repair the one you have. That not okay. being possible, you could probably retrofit one off of a different type of engine. Chevrolet used a vacuum advance for several years on their distributors, and it's pretty well available aftermarket as reproduction parts. You may have to redrill some holes. You may have to refashion the linkage. But if you're not interested in keeping the car totally mechanically original, you can no. probably do something like if you just want it functional. Almost all of them function in the same way. So I would look and see if I couldn't find one off like a Chevrolet, a small block Chevrolet. I think, I don't remember what year they quit using the vacuum advance, but they used it for many, many, many years. 
and it's a pretty generic part. You could probably redrill the holes to get it to mount, maybe refashion the little link and get it to work for you. Okay, so the arc, I guess, I don't know what else to call it, is pretty much the same for all of them? Yeah, the travel on it is going to be pretty yeah. similar, and it will be pretty easy to fashion some sort of a stop on it if it's over-advancing. You know, if it's under-advancing, you'd have to change the leverage point. By moving the little link, there's the actual travel is going to be a function because it's turning a plate. So how far out, as you come further out, it turns it more relative to the movement. As you go further in, it turns it less relative to the movement. So you could actually probably reposition the pivot point as you had to. I mean, there are ways it can be done. You could maybe even have someone take and cut the little link arm off of the one you buy and weld the one off of your original home. You know, something like that. There's probably a way it can be done. Okay. It's just going to have to be kind okay, of creative. Great. Thank you very much. All right, Scott. Thanks for calling, man. Goodbye. Bye-bye. 291-6901 will get you to us. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going back to the phone lines with Clay. Good morning, Clay. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good, good. I've got a question. Uh, I'm trying to make a kind of educated decision here if I do have worst-case scenario. Okay. I've got a 01 GMC Yukon XL. Mm-hmm. $130,000 on it. I mean, things were ran great. Second owner always been maintained and probably about six months ago my dad and i put a uh, new water pump thermostat changed all the hoses flushed the heater core out just kind of did some good maintenance yes to it and filled it back up let it run a little while let it cool off filled it you know the reserve tank back up and i just kind of forgot about it had plenty of fluid in it and well i checked it not long ago and it was it was a little low mm-hmm. and i also it wasn't doing it every time but sometimes i was getting like some uh, grayish looking puff, you know, more than really a puff uh, out of the exhaust. Okay. And I started getting a little concerned because there might be a, a head gasket or a head issue or something because of some of the stuff I've read. Well, mm-hmm. I know there's some PSBs out on those heads on some yes, of them. Mm-hmm. So my question is this. The ones I have have got the 862 casting number on. Well, you can't go by the number. you got to go by a little symbol. The cast tech head Under is the, the one you're looking for. Yeah, right. if you go on my website and just type in the word cast tech or just cracked head on Chevy yeah. or something like that. There are pictures on there and it'll show you the exact little casting mark. It's under the valve cover. And that head was pretty prevalent in that time range. Now, the way we diagnose that, Clay, is to take the valve cover off and run a pressure test on it with the valve cover off. And it even shows you in the article exactly where they leak. And you'll see it just yeah, oozing yeah. out into the oil. And normally when you take valve covers off, you're going to see signs of water in the oil if that's the problem anyway. It'll be real clouded up inside the valve covers. Because that's okay. where all the steam goes. But I guess to anticipate your question, if the vehicle runs pretty well, it just depends on how long this has been going on. If it hadn't been happening very long, then what we would do is to pull the heads off and replace two heads. Now, right. if it's been that way for quite a period of time, the coolant's gotten into the oil. It's probably accelerated the wear drastically on the camshaft and all that. It would really mm-hmm. be better to replace the motor at that point. Right, and see, that leads to my question. You know, I live here in Georgia, and mm-hmm. I found some used motors. Yes, sir, right. You know, They're pretty 30, prevalent. 30, yeah, thirty to 50,000-mile mm-hmm. motors, mm-hmm. you know, and I can get one installed for about $2,100. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and heads... I, I would have no problem with that at all. Okay, because heads are going to cost about the same. Then I've got will. A, you know, an older bottom end. Right, that is correct. We do that repair quite a bit, Clay. We put the later model used motors because those little motors went in just about everything, and they're pretty prevalent. There's lots of them in the junkyards, and that usually makes a real nice repair. Me, personally, I would have absolutely no problem spending $2,100 on that truck because that is a better truck than you can buy today, in my opinion. I drive a 2002, and I'll drive it for another 20 years. I will not go to anything newer. Yeah, I mean, it runs 
smooth as silk. Oh, absolutely. Know? I mean, once you go buy twenty one hundred dollars, I mean, yeah, yeah you, well, that you was can't even put a down payment on a truck for that. No, I know, I know. The only concern I had with doing that was, was I going to get the same? Would I get the same problem again down the road? You well, know it is I mean? possible, but again, Clay, you got to remember that problem normally shows up around one hundred thirty to one hundred fifty thousand miles. If you got thirty on that motor, you got another hundred thousand miles to worry about it. Yeah, that's true. Now, the other option is to go to GM and buy GM remanufactured engine, which will come with a later model updated head. Now, you'll spend a good bit more money on that, but right. it, it comes with a three-year, 100,000-mile warranty, which is a pretty healthy warranty on the thing. Yeah. And that comes with the updated heads and all completely rebuilt GM remanufactured engine. We do that a lot when folks want to spend a little bit more money. But you could probably be right. up in the $4,500 range to do that as opposed to 2500 the other way. Yeah. So you, Can you see that casting mark without taking you gotta take valve cover. or any of it? Oh, yeah. You don't have to take rocks. You can take valve cover off. Okay. I didn't know if you could see it by just taking it mm. off. I'd... Yeah, just pull valve yeah. cover. It's pretty easy. About an hour job, pull both of them. Okay. They go on the website and just look at that article. This picture shows you the casting mark. It shows you where they leak, where they cracked. It uh, shows you the whole deal. Okay. All right. Okay. What part of uh, George are you calling from, Clay? Just south of Atlanta. All right. I had Herb calls in there and aggravates y'all all. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you give the producer your name and address, I'll get an Agco t-shirt out to you. I did. I okay. did. All right. Great. Good man. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all. All right, Clay. All right, Saturday. sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to give us a call, we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We'd sure love to hear from you. GM had a problem with those heads for, what was that, 01 to 04, 03? to, I'd have to look it up. I think it's maybe 05 or 06. I'm not sure. And it was on the 4.8s and the 5.3s. I don't think the 6 liter was I don't think it was. different head casting on the 6 liter. Right. But that was very, very common. For a while there, we were seeing those real, oh, real bunch. regular. And yeah. A lot of them, I guess, have gotten fixed or maybe people don't know they've got the problem. But we still get a lot of calls on it. We don't fix quite as many as we were at one time. I think we're doing one or two a week. Oh, yeah. Now we see maybe a couple of months. But what happens is that the cylinder head casting was, I'm going to use the word inferior. inferior. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. GM says they had a thin casting. Right. Yeah, they were made by a company called Castec. I think they were cast in Mexico. And the casting was just too thin in certain areas. Uh -huh. And it's around where the head bolts bolt. So as the head heats up, it starts to expand, but the head bolt is not going to stretch. Correct. So there's a slight amount of flex in that area. And with the casting being weak over the years, I guess it takes about 100 between 100 and 130,000 miles, you'll get tiny little cracks in those areas. Right, right around and, the edge of the head bolt. Yeah, this is not casting. a crack like you might expect. You're going to look down and see a big old gap. It's Correct. Not, it's just a little hairline crack. But it's just enough where coolant under pressure can ooze out. Uh-huh. The outward symptom is you'll start losing just a little bit of coolant. You juggle, just kind of keep going down, and try as you might, you cannot find a leak. Right. There's just no There's no external outside. leaks on it anywhere. And in time, it'll get bad enough. The oil may turn cloudy, but boy, you got to get so much coolant in oil to make it cloudy because modern oils have a lot of dispersants in them that'll break that up and contain it. Right, and by the time you see it, it's, it's usually yeah, too late. Probably wiped out an engine by the time you see it. Now, if you take the valve cover off, you'll generally see some clouding in there because uh -huh. the moisture in the coolant actually boils when the engine gets hot, produces some steam inside those valve covers, and that causes those the covers, any sludge or buildup or oil. It's going to be right there. Yeah, it'll kind of milk up inside the cover. But looking from the outside, you won't see it. Now, when you drain your oil... Most mm -hmm. folks don't really take the time to really do that as they should. But if you let the car sit for a little while, let the water settle to the bottom of the pan, take and the plug out, you may see some water come out before the oil does. Now, the glycol 
in the coolant is going to mix with the oil because it's alcohol. It mixes with oil, it's, but it'll mix with the oil. The oil will just dissipate. It'll just Correct. take it in. And that destroys the ability of the oil to protect the engine. So what happens is that the wear and tear on the rod bearings, main bearings, and even more, the lifters and, and rollers camshaft. and camshaft right. just goes to naught. It'll start wearing out the rocker arms and all that. And by the time you discover you got a problem, if you don't get on that right away... It's usually going to be too late for the engine. You'll be putting an engine in it. If you catch it in about the first month or so, generally we can go in, replace two cylinder heads, purge the engine out real well, change it all, and then tell the owner to change it all again at about 1,500 miles just Correct. to get all the remnants out. And that does a really, really nice job. Now you got a vehicle you can drive for several thousands more miles. Uh -huh. But... If you raise the valve cover off and it, it it's just covered in there, up yeah. and you can see wear and tear, then you're really better off to replace the engine, be it a used engine or a GM reman or whichever way you right. choose to go. The key to the whole thing is watch the coolant level. That's always right. check it at the same time. First thing in the morning, it's always cold from sitting overnight. You can check it right then, check it every morning. It should not change because the coolant system is a sealed system. The coolant that's in it, the liquid that's in it is the liquid that should be in it that should always be in it. That's right. If the coolant level goes down, there's a problem. Sure. It you doesn't, got, you it need doesn't to just find evaporate it. and the engine doesn't just use it up. Right. It, it you goes need down, to find there's it. a problem, you need to get on it. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer, tomorrow, or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. We sure love to hear from you. You put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's and right. if you know the country codes, you can reach us from anywhere in the world. That's today. right, and we sure appreciate you doing that and waking up in the middle of the night uh, call to give us a call. We were talking to the last gentleman, and he was saying he was thinking about possibly getting a used engine to put in the vehicle. Uh huh. And a lot of people kind of wince when they hear used, and they say, "Oh my God, you!" But really, a used part in many cases is better than a rebuilt part, depending if, on the application. If the rebuilder is not one hundred percent up to snuff. And I know local rebuilders tend to be, and I'm using a broad brush here, I'm sure there are certain rebuilders locally who do a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh -huh. As a general rule, a lot of local rebuilders probably just don't do as good a job as they should. Okay. The, the machine work is not quite there. They're a little sloppy about this, that, or the other. Maybe they're using cheap components. I don't know, whatever. I've just had, personally, real bad luck with locally rebuilt engines. Uh -huh. 
And if I can get a GM remanufactured engine that comes from General Motors or a Ford remanufactured engine that comes from Ford or Nissan right. or so on. It's actually built to their right. regular That's specs. Right, gone down more or less an assembly line with pretty tight quality control and all that. But a lot of the aftermarket rebuilt stuff, even the big companies, just really turn out a really bad product uh -huh. in my experience. Now, if you've got a used engine with low mileage, at least we have got a General Motors or Ford or Toyota engine. You've got a factory built. This is a factory built engine that has low mileage on it. The odds of having a problem are extremely low with something like that. Right, and you usually get a pretty good warranty with them also. We do. Normally, they'll give us at least a six-month warranty. And the thing is, with a vehicle or a part that has a problem, such as an engine, it's you're going to know months. right away. Right. It's either you're going to put it in and it's going to start be knocking, it'll start smoking or whatever, it won't have oil pressure immediately. Uh -huh. If it makes it six months, it's going to probably make it six years right? or 16. So that, it, to me, is a very good option if you need to save money. Now, clearly, it's better if you can afford to go ahead and get a remanufactured engine. Sure, that, that way everything's fresh right off the well, assembly yeah. line. It's ready to go in, ready Absolutely. To, to do its job. And a lot of times folks will come and say, well, I had a new motor. No, you didn't get a new one. No, <laughs> you don't ever get a new one. No, the only way to get a new motor is it's to buy a, a new car. A new vehicle. That's right. Everything out there, virtually everything, is rebuilt. There are no new motors. There are uh -huh. no new transmissions. There are no new alternators except for the aftermarket junk that comes from offshore. Right. But people think, you know, they... Well, because, like, yeah, because it, it's new? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, it's new to them. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's a remanufactured part, which is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. And in a lot of applications, the remanufactured is better than a new part. Well, that's right. Because some of that stuff is re-engineered offshore, mm -hmm. and when it gets here... Marked new in the box. I mean, it's garbage when it gets here. That's right. Well, take transmissions, for instance. We rebuild transmissions in-house. Uh-huh. And that is actually a better transmission than you can buy. If I go to GM and buy a transmission, I'm getting the same junk I took out. Right. But if you have one rebuilt by Agco, you're That's actually right. getting an upgraded part. Well, we're putting a billet steel reaction shell, which has been a known problem since 1982. Right. We're going to put aluminum accumulator pistons in it. We're going to put a five-gear planetary instead of instead the four-gear four planetaries. Right. We're going to put a shift kit, which changes some of the shift strategy, puts more pressure to the clutches, which is going to prevent a problem. There's just a number of things that we can do to make this a better product than it ever was. Sure. Because that transmission, and I'm just picking on a 4L60E, it's been out for so many years that mostly all the known problems have been resolved by someone other than GM. Uh-huh. They just keep on building it the same old way. Yeah. But you can actually get a much better transmission than new. Sure. Just by rebuilding. And you're doing a custom job on it. It's sort of like a custom wheel alignment is better than maybe the original wheel alignment that came on your car because I can set it precisely to the roads that we have here, the tires you have on your car, whereas when it's set at the factory, it's set by a machine to one number that they all set to. Some will drive straight, some, some will have a drift left, some will have a drift right. Right. That's just the law of numbers, if I put everything on the same exact number, not every car is going to drive the same way. Drivers don't weigh the same amount. They don't load their cars the same amount. Roads don't have the same amount of road crown. Tires don't have the same amount of conicity. There's a million variables. And if I set everyone at, say, a half a degree camber and two degrees caster and a sixteenth inch of toe or whatever the numbers might be, some of them are going to go perfectly straight. Sure. Some of them are going to drift left. Some are going to drift right, just depending on a million variables. But when we custom align a car Say at Agco, what we'll do is drive the car first so we know exactly what it's going to require. We're going to set it, then we're going to drive it again. And if we have to, within the specification range, we're going to adjust it to make it run exactly straight. Correct. So that's just kind of the advantage of custom doing something. 
Sort of like if you ever watch on TV some of these rebuilding shows and all where they custom build a car. Mm-hmm. That's actually a nicer car than you could buy new. When oh, you're yeah. With it because they have custom built it. They've designed it. They've done everything on it. Now, if you do a sloppy job, obviously you get a sloppy result, and it's kind of hard to beat what the factory does, but there are people who can do it. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. In spades. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines. Joanne, good morning, Joanne. Hello. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. I have an 07 Silverado. Okay. And when I put my brakes on lightly, mm-hmm. the brake lights come on. Okay. And when I have my foot still on the brakes, it goes off. Okay. That's a fairly common problem on that one, Joanne. They've got a problem with the brake light switch. And the amount of pedal effort that it took to apply that switch was a bit excessive on the original switch. GM has redesigned the switch. Now, there's never a recall for that that I'm aware of, and there was nothing else where they'll do it for free. But generally, we replace the brake light switch. It's normally if you've got light pedal application, if you really push it hard, it will come on. But the spring inside the switch that pushes against the switch to keep it from applying when you shouldn't, if you just got light pressure, it'll come on initial pedal effort, but then it'll go off. And there's actually a bulletin out for that, and there's a revised switch. Not a really expensive part. I want to say the part's in the $20, $25 range. and Doesn't, probably, doesn't take but about half an hour to yeah, change it. Yeah, half hour or so to change Talks. it. So not a huge cost. Okay, great. Thank Alrighty. you so much. Hey, yes, thanks ma'am. for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? GM brake light switch just reminded me of the problem GM was having with the brake boosters. Yeah, that's been a real issue going on, and they have not acknowledged that. I checked this morning to see if there was any bulletins on uh-huh. it. Still no bulletin on it. But yeah, on the brake boosters, and the one we see it the most on is two designs. The first design and second design, master cylinder. The one where the brake reservoir is retained by dual roll pins. Correct. Is the one that has most trouble. And there's another one where it has plastic clips where the reservoir just clips down to the master cylinder. But the one with the roll pins tends to leak into the brake booster and cause you some real grief. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and a whole lot more when we come back on Automotive Hour. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. (laughs) Yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. Recommended repairs. Bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Give us a call. It's 291-6901. We sure would love to hear from you. That's it. And put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning, and we'd really like to hear from you. That is absolutely right. We're talking just a little bit about the GM problem with the Silverados and the Sierras and maybe the Suburban and Tahoes as well. But there was two design master cylinders that they used and one had like two roll pins, one on either end of the reservoir that right. tainted. That was the first design. That's the one that seems to have most of the problem. 
The revised edition, the master cylinder reservoir clips down with some plastic clips in the middle. And it's actually a different shape. It's totally different. Right. It's completely redesigned. And what happens is that the fluid leaks out of the back of the master cylinder and leaks into the booster. And now that's going to cause a number of problems. Sure. First off, and immediately it's going to destroy the booster because that rubber diaphragm inside that booster can't tolerate brake fluid. So it's going to eat the booster up. Now, if it gets enough fluid in it, what will actually happen is it'll start to fill up. Then it'll start to suck it into the vacuum line and go into the motor. Okay. Most people will complain of like a puff of white smoke when they accelerate. Right. And that's the brake fluid sucking into the motor. Now, if you continue to drive or ignore the symptom, the next thing you can know is check engine light because it probably takes your catalytic converter out because it's just not designed to burn brake fluid. Well, the first thing you're going to notice is you're going to start losing brake fluid in the master cylinder right. reservoir. The if level's going to start going down. It's kind of like we talked about before with the coolant. If uh -huh. that reservoir goes down, there's a problem. Well, you have certain amount that it will go down because of the wear right. of the brake pads. Well, at very least, it indicates worn set of brake pads. Right. But you get down past the minimum level that's right. or you, to the minimum level, you definitely have a problem. Or if it goes down all of a sudden because brakes aren't going to just start wearing real fast. Right. It'll it go may down go down slowly. a slight amount over a long period of time. That's probably wear on the brake pads. So a low master cylinder is going to at least tell you that you got some worn brake pads Correct. in the car or, or truck. But when it drops all of a sudden or starts to drop a good bit or continuously drops, that fluid's going somewhere. Right. And if it's not leaking out at the wheels or the lines or yes. out from under the vehicle, it's more than likely going into that booster. Yeah, it'll suck it up in the brake booster. And the fix at this point is going to be a new brake booster and a new master cylinder if you catch it early. Now, if you let it go on and it sucks into those catalytic converters, you figure a brake booster is about $250. The master, master. cylinder is $250. And if you do it yourself, you're out about $500. If you've got to pay somebody, you're probably out about $800. Uh -huh. But... That's nothing compared to that $2,000 catalytic converter on the vehicle. Right. Because so you now still you got the $800. Now you got another two Gs. Exactly. So you're into it for about three grand. Yeah, for a converter, for something that could have been prevented. So now, if I'm not mistaken, the updated master cylinder is not compatible with the old brake booster. That is correct. They have to be changed as an assembly That's because the problem was in the back of the cylinder. And when they change that, it will no longer bolt to the old booster. Uh-huh. And generally, if you're going to change the master, you need to change the booster anyway because the fluids leak into it. And once it ruptures the diaphragm, now the vacuum from that booster is going to suck the seals right out of the new master cylinder anyway. Correct. So you're going to be right back in the same boat you are now. It's a chicken egg sort of a situation where you got to change both to fix right. the problem. If it's not, just, you'll be right back. And it's not really that difficult a job to change the booster. There's four bolts that bolted through the firewall mm -hmm. and the clip that holds it onto the brake pedal. Mm -hmm. Really, that's the only things besides the vacuum line on the outside that actually hold the booster to the vehicle. Well, and you got to bleed the master but cylinder then, and bleed the brakes. Right. That is a bit de involved. Depending on the application, it is a bit involved because on some applications, different brake systems, you actually have to have a scan tool right. to run the ABS valves that if now has, have ingested air. If it has the active braking system on it, and you can tell that by looking at the rear differential, and it has little sensors out by the wheels in the axle tubes. Uh-huh. That is you've the, got active braking, you would be way, way better served to take that to someone who knows what they're doing, has the tooling to do it. Right. They're difficult enough for a shop to do with the right tooling. We have had shops tow those cars to us. Right. Because they couldn't get the brake pedal back. And you just start out to bleed the brakes and you end up with the pedal on the floor and cannot get it back up. Exactly. You can run two gallons of fluid through it. You're not getting the brake pedal you up. You have to have some way to cycle those 
valves in the ABS unit to get all that air that is now trapped. Right. Kind of reminds me of that old saying. It says it's hard to remember that your original goal was to drain a swamp when you're up your behind an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> all I want to do is drain the swamp. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all don't want to do is put brake pads on this truck. That's <laughs> it. We have actually had to have a lot of those vehicles towed in and the brake pedals completely on the floor. And I mean, that could take up to two hours or more sure. to bleed that system. It's sure. A, it's a real complicated system sure. for what it does, in my opinion. They just way, way more complexity there than should need to be. Right. I mean, we've had hydraulic brakes now since 1930s <laughs> or, yeah. or, or even before. And all of a sudden, they come up with this new mess. And I don't see where they stop any better or do anything else any better than anything I know, else. But I know. It's it's crazy. The complications and technology has complicated the, the situation. Yeah, it's one of those, look what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer and watch this. That's it. Hey, we're going back to the phone lines. Chris, good morning, Chris. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing good great, morning. Sir. Love the show. Thank, Thank you. you. I've got a 2000 Chevy Silverado. Okay. Uh, last summer, AC was cool and fine one day, and then not the next. Okay. Had a gentleman take a look at it, and you know, he charged it up and determined that it was leaking, a uh, major leak. Okay. However, he couldn't find it. It leaked out within about 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, sir. But, but he could not find the leak. He didn't know if his little tool was not working correctly. Yeah, yeah it has to be, because that leak that big ought to be pretty easy to find. Well, and that's my, my second question. What what do you think we'd be into as far as, is that a, something that's going to be worth fooling with? Or oh, absolutely. That, I mean, you, right. you're not going to be able to survive the summer here without air conditioning, Chris. You know it and I know it, so we're oh, kind of yeah. fooling ourselves there. You know? Right, right. First 100-degree day, it doesn't matter what it costs anymore. But you know, I just hear the horror stories you guys talk about uh, AC systems and how, how Oh, it can get real expensive. Depends on the competency of the guy that was working on it. If he's pretty competent tech and he couldn't find it, I would say most likely the evaporator core is leaking. That's not common on that vehicle, but it does happen. And you do have to take the dash out. But again, it's not the end of the world. It's about a six, six and a half hour job to pull the dash out, change the evaporator core. That would be one thing that would be difficult to find. Now, a couple of other spots we see on those trucks that leak a lot and people have trouble finding them is the charge ports. The two little ports where you hook your gauges on, those are notorious for leaking, very inexpensive to fix. And what happens, a lot of guys will go in, they'll screw the gauges down those ports. When they do that, they seal it. They just close the leak off. Then they right. check and check and check and check and can't find a leak. Well, you got to take the gauges off and check that. But we do that quite a bit. That's a real cheap repair. And you change two charge ports, recharge system, and you're up, up and running. So I can't guarantee that's what it's going to be. But I would certainly get someone else to have a look. Yes, sir. Okay. Great. Right. That's good information. I appreciate your help. Hi, right, Chris. Okay, thanks thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number that'll get you right straight to Brian and I, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Sure, and if you happen not to make the 11 o'clock cutoff today or think of something after we go off the air or even next week, That's you right. happen to think of something you need to answer to, you can always go to our website, send Lewis an email, and get your questions answered that way. And the address is agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page, just Fill out the little form and send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right, and sometimes a lot faster if I happen to be sitting at the computer. Generally during the day, I try to check email depending on my workload at least several times a day. On Mondays, we generally are real, real, real busy, and right. on Fridays, we're real, real busy. During the week, I generally get caught up by around 10 or 11 o'clock, and I'll check the email, and then I'll check it again in the afternoon a couple of times. So generally, you get an answer back pretty darn fast, and that's not only the best way, but that's the only way to get in touch with me. I Correct. can't take calls other than folks who have their car in the shop being worked on during the week. 100% of my time goes to the folks who are there having their car repaired, and I just don't have time to stop and chit-chat with anyone else. So send me an email. I'll be glad to get an answer back to you, and that's the best way to do it. Now, when you're on the site, you want to look around because they got the detailed topics with just 
tons of information, probably just about anything that you could imagine. I know there's over 350 of those. Put one on this morning. In fact, this was actually triggered by a guy who called Oh, a couple of weeks ago. Right. And he was saying his Chevy truck, the voltmeter, occasionally would just drop down. It normally rode around 14, 14 and a half volts like most of them do, which is about midway. But occasionally it would drop as low as 12 to 12 and a half volts. And he thought that might be a problem, but he said it had always had done that. Mm-hmm. Well, this article will explain exactly why that happens on those particular trucks. Because they have a regulation system on it with six different charging strategies, and under different conditions, it's gonna charge at different rates, and the voltmeter may go as low as 12.3 volts or even lower, and that is perfectly normal for the system. Uh Now, there are things you can do yourself, which are outlined in this article, how to check it. It tells you how it works. It tells you about the six different modes and when they come on, the situations that bring them on. Uh For instance, if it is at or below freezing, it's going to go to a charge mode because it's scared that if the battery is discharged, it could actually freeze. Correct. So below 32 degrees, it's going to charge pretty much at 14 and a half volts. Okay. Regardless of the situation because it's going to sense the temperature and that's what it's going to do. But now let's say it's a day like today. It's about 70 degrees outside and you're cruising along and so your battery is at least 80% charged or more. And it's not discharging at a great rate. It's very slight discharge or no discharge. Well, what's going to happen is the BCM is actually going to tell the alternator to cut back and go to fuel economy mode. When that happens, you're going to drop to open state battery voltage, okay. which is around 12.3 to 12.5 volts. You know, the voltmeter is just going to come down. The uh-huh. alternator is actually no longer charging because it doesn't need to charge. Right. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with the condition of your battery or anything else except that it is fully charged, or at least 80% charged when this occurs. Now, if you're driving along, and let's say you come to a stop, and the alternator is putting out 12.3 volts, and you're looking at it, and you're getting a little worried. You're sitting there idling, and all of a sudden, the cooling fan's cut on because the air conditioning head pressure is getting too high. Right, so now the load has increased. When those fans cut on, it's going to trigger the alternator to kick up to charge mode, and it's going to jump to about 14.5 volts. So you'll see it pretty drastic sweep in voltage. Uh-huh. And people don't realize, okay, well, the fans just cut on. All they say is, man, it just jumped up 14 and a half volts. Right. And then all of a sudden, now it's back down 12 and a half. Something's wrong. And the first thing most people do is go and buy an alternator. And that is a very expensive venture if you go the correct route. Well, what they do is they call the Chevrolet dealer and he tells them 450 bucks for an alternator and by the time they pick themselves off the floor, they call a parts store and they say, well, $125. They say, oh, that's a much better deal. Well, they go down they buy this piece of junk imported trash for $125. Not on. only that, but you have to turn in your old one for a core charge. Well, that's exactly so point the exact point I was The old one is gone. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with that old one. You had a perfectly good GM alternator that you just took off. You sent it back as a core, so now it's gone. Correct. Well, now you do have a charge system problem. <laughs> Now it doesn't charge. Your alternator's gone. Right. We see that on... Hondas are real notorious well, for that. Well, Honda won't even accept an aftermarket rebuilt alternator as a core. So now you're into buying a new alternator plus, plus playing a, a core charge. Correct. So that big old $500 pair that you didn't need in the first place has escalated to about 1000 bucks. <laughs> By the time it's all said and done. Yeah, and alternators, the gauge on the alternator does not charge like they used to. No, it, I mean, it, it used to a, be an on-off type thing. Yeah. And on that particular vehicle, it's not going to work that way. And it's hard for you 
you to understand all the logic involved, like I said, there are six individual modes that are going to influence the rate at which it charges, or at least the voltage at which it charges. And the first thing you got to remember, a voltmeter is not an amp meter. Correct. Old there cars is a difference. had an amp meter. An amp meter showed charge and discharge. Uh -huh. When it was charging, it was positive. When it was discharging, it was negative. Correct. A voltmeter is only measuring system voltage, which is totally different from amp draw or any of that. It has nothing to do with load on the system. It's the voltage that's available for starting the car. Uh -huh. So the gauge changed a few years back, and now the way the gauge work has changed. Well, and it confuses a lot of people. Well, it does. I can't tell you how many people come in and say they've changed the alternator. Now, the best thing is, hey, it still does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At least you got a good one, because <laughs> it was supposed to do that. But people really don't understand that. And I think I got to fault GM just a bit on this, because when they made a radical change to the way the vehicle operates, they just didn't inform the driver of this. And there's, uh -huh. it would be one thing if when you bought the vehicle, the salesman or someone said, hey, this is the way it's going to operate. Correct. This is normal. And you understood that going in, then you wouldn't be alarmed. But for a million years, we've seen vehicles where the voltmeter sat right at one point and stayed there all the right. time. Now, right. all of a sudden, this was moving around, around all over the place. You got to think something's wrong. And a lot of times, people may not notice it when the vehicle's new. They're just so happy because the car smells good and right. they're in a new vehicle. They're right, not really paying along. that close attention to the gauges. Yeah, after they make the last payment, now they start kind of critiquing <laughs> it because they're thinking maybe I need to get another vehicle. And they start looking at that gauge. Whoa, I don't remember that thing ever doing that. Well, it's right. always done it. Right. It's just now it's doing it and you're noticing it or whatever. Or maybe it's doing it more because a number of conditions can bring it on. For instance, one thing, let's say you haven't serviced your cooling system. It gets a little corrosive and the thermostat starts to stick or something. Now the engine temperature is a bit higher than before. Well, that's going to trigger those cooling fans to come on. And when that occurs, it's going to go to charge mode. So it's going to be jumping around a lot more. Uh -huh. Another thing is, let's say your AC gets a little bit low on refrigerant the unit, you have to turn it up to high to get it to work. When you put that AC on high, it's going to trigger charge mode. Sure. So conditions are very, very subtly changing and the average person, because it happens over maybe a period of years, you never notice it. But now you see a drastic difference in this gauge. Uh -huh. But it's just doing what it's supposed to do. That's not the problem at all. The problem is the air conditioning system is a little bit low on refrigerant because the charge port's leaking. Right. But here we go, pop a $500 alternator and for absolutely no reason. Still got the same exact issue because it was a charging system problem at all. It was an air condition level problem. Right. Or yeah. a cooling fan problem or an overheating problem or on and on and on. And I guess that's why we talk every week about diagnosis and knowing what you're doing or bringing it to someone who knows what they're doing. Because people can go out and spend an inordinate amount of money chasing something and have no earthly idea of where even getting close to the problem. Sure. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. You know? <laughs> well, it's going to work out better if you take it to somebody who deals with this every day, day in, day out. Well, or at very and least, they know about it. seek out the information. If you're one of those people, and there are lots of guys like that, and probably some gals too, who just love doing the stuff they sell. Uh huh. Well, that's great. I have no problem with that. But go and get the information, find out how the system works, find out all there is to know about it, and then you can make a decision because you'll realize that, hey, this is the cooling fans running too much, causing the alternator to go to charge mode. It's not an alternator problem. That's just what I'm seeing change. Uh -huh. I'm and, seeing it do something different. And the AGCO website is an excellent place to get oh, information. Huge resource, tons and tons of information. You'll get tired of reading before you run out of stuff to read. I guarantee you that. I use it all the time. There you go. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break and be right back on Automotive Hour. you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just 
happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvarez, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, Tree Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Still got plenty of time. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to help you out, put you up to the top of the list, That's get right. your questions answered. That's right. Get you started, get you stopped. Uh, Whatever you might need. That's it. I don't know which one's more important, start and stop. I guess stop, I'm stopping. stopping probably, yeah, 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 stopping kind of ranks high on my uh, <laughs> on my list there. Yeah, if you can't start, you just can't go where you're going. But That's you can't it. Stop, you can't stop. You tend to go past where you want to yeah, go. Yeah, we may have a little fatality going on here. <laughs> you just never know. Both of those are really have to rank way on up there. So often today, people are still trying to use symptoms to guide them, which is the only thing we have. Uh -huh. our, our senses tell us the things that are wrong. But because a car is no longer a mechanical device that operates in a logical manner, it's an electronic device that operates the way it was programmed. Correct. So it may follow some form of logic, but if you don't understand that logic or understand all the ways that it changes and does this and does that and does the other, then you're going to go way, way, way wrong. Sure. And you can spend just an inordinate amount of money chasing symptoms that are ghosts and have nothing to do with the actual problem or so far removed from the actual problem right? that you just can't even imagine it. We had a lady who came in a while back and she had had a Chrysler product and she'd be driving along and would just jump into second gear okay, and lock up. So the first thing she did, get on the phone, called around, found how much the rebuilt transmission. She found the cheapest guy in town, went old transmission rebuilt. Well... On the way home, it's jumping in second gear again. Did the same Goes thing. back. Well, he don't know what's wrong now, so don't know what to do. Plus, now she's got a transmission that leaks and doesn't shift right anyway. Uh-huh. But after investing way more than it would have cost to diagnose and fix the problem originally, she finally ended up over at our place, checked it out, and system had a really funky sine wave in the voltage pattern. And someone had put a cheap rebuilt alternator on it, and the shaft was actually bent. Right on the rotor in the alternator so that so when the armature it spun, was at slower speeds, it was okay. The brushes, the springs could kind of keep those brushes planted against the armature. Right. But as the speed of the vehicle increased, the speed of the motor increased, the brushes would start to bounce. And when they would bounce, they would lose contact, which would produce a wave. Now, okay. you couldn't really notice it driving the car, and it didn't make the headlights flicker or anything like that, but right. it was enough to where it drove the computer berserk. Oh, yeah. The computer has to have a constant voltage. Right, and 12.5 volts or more and less than 13 volts. It's got to be very closely regulated for it to operate properly. And so what would happen is that the computer would just freak out. When it did, it would go to limp mode. Okay. Limp mode is a programmed-in feature that if it doesn't know what to do, rather than just strand Stop you, running. it's right. going to stick it in second gear. 
and the reason it picked second gear, because in first gear, you could take off, but you couldn't get any speed at all. Uh-huh. In third gear, you could get some speed up, but you couldn't take off. So it selects second gear as the best alternative available to it. Correct. That way you can take off in second, and you can still get enough speed to get home. You can't drive 100 miles an hour, but you could probably drive 40, 45 miles an hour if you had to. So it's a limp mode. Now, the average person maybe doesn't know anything about that. All they know is the car stuck in second gear, how much to rebuild transmission. Exactly. Well, if you call the wrong person... You're going to get a transmission. Oh, absolutely. And what you want to know is why does my car get stuck in second gear and not how much the cheapest rebuilt transmission in town, which found out was how much the cheapest guy in town. <laughs> and much to her chagrin, because even after we resolved the problem, put the alternator on, it still had a major amount of shifting concerns because he did such a poor job rebuilding transmission. Correct. So now she does need a rebuilt transmission, whereas before, she didn't. Just need an alternator. Probably nothing wrong with it. And really... This problem would never have occurred except that whoever put the alternator on bought the cheapest junk rebuilt alternator and put on it. Right. We see it all the time. May or may not have ever needed that. <laughs> <laughs> it could have just had a weak battery or a dirty terminal. Who knows why that was put on it. Right. But it just kind of starts a problem process. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that folks just don't know what to ask. The car is broke. So all they do is they see a symptom and they start calling around, how much is this, how much is that? And that is almost guaranteed to land you in the hands of a shyster. Sure. Because he's going to have the perfect answer for you. Oh, yeah. Free towing. We'll get oh, you in. Everything's going to be free in the shop. And then he's going to have the lowest price in town, or so he's going to tell you. Of course, you can walk out of there about five times what he quoted you in the car not fixed and maybe screwed up worse than it was to start with. Right. But the way to handle that is rather than try to guess at what you think's wrong and guess at prices on something nobody knows what we're even talking about, is to call a competent shop and tell them the symptom. What sure. my car is doing is this. Right. Check it out and let me know what it's going to cost. Now, and even it, better than that, if you get it to the shop, ask to ride with the technician that is going to work on the vehicle. And show him and show him. If my car is doing this. See, yeah. this is what I want it not to do when oh, I pick yeah, it up. That's ideal because ideal. that way the message gets relayed 100%. Strike. And that's going to save you so much money over oh, yeah. the years. And it's going to make your life and even the life of the shop you deal with just a whole, whole lot better. And you get good repair at a much, much, much lower overall cost. Sure. Just sure. by doing nothing but that one thing. Right. And the relationship you have with your shop that works on your vehicle is something you, you need. Everybody's eventually going to have to have their car worked on, whether you work on your car or not. There's going to be some point where you realize that I can't handle this. I need, right. this, I need a professional. I need some service. I need some kind of service here. Or let me put it this way. I may not have to have a, but it's just going to be a lot cheaper for me to bring this to a professional, have him diagnose it, than me to guess and spend a whole bunch of money for nothing. Exactly. Yeah, I see we're completely out of time. we got to get on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate those written ratings. Boost us up in ratings so more people can find us and also makes our day. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.